This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Nine people have died of coronavirus here in the U.S., and all of them were in Washington state. The majority of those deaths are linked to a nursing home just miles from Seattle. One of the first outbreaks of coronavirus in the United States began at a home for frail, elderly people who need medical assistance. Melanie Evans covers hospitals. And what happened in that nursing home, from screening criteria that missed the virus to emergency responders who weren't warned to wear protective gear, represents a much larger problem on a national scale. Today on the show, how early moves in the U.S. to contain a coronavirus outbreak fell short, and how the country is now changing its strategy. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Tuesday, March 3rd. So far, nowhere has the undetected spread of the new coronavirus been as consequential as it has been in the Life Care Center nursing home. But when the outbreak started, people weren't even sure what it was. Firefighters in Kirkland received a series of phone calls to respond to medical emergencies at the Life Care Center in Kirkland. The calls, you know, sort of came to more than one firehouse. They were called on different days for different people for trouble breathing or a bloody nose. And were they thinking about the coronavirus? Was that in their mind at all? What the firefighters described was being aware something was going on, not necessarily coronavirus. It could be flu. And so a number of the firefighters went in with what they would consider standard protective gear, gloves and eyewear. They were not wearing the masks that medical professionals are being asked to wear if they suspect that they are coming in contact with someone with coronavirus. When you spoke with these firefighters who went into the nursing home, what did they say they saw when they got there? One of the firefighters described a resident with respiratory distress, but no fever, so she didn't don a mask. But she also didn't know that the nursing home was experiencing flu-like symptoms among its residents and its staff. She said that had she known that, she might have changed her approach because there was clearly something circulating in the nursing home facility. Another firefighter described being called again for a patient with a respiratory issue, and he was cautious about describing too much personal detail about the patient. So all he would say was that once he saw the individual, he felt like he would need a mask. He turned around, went back to get his mask. There was not enough information that he received from the nursing home to lead him to believe he needed one going in. 
The firefighters didn't go into the nursing home wearing those masks because, according to the protocol at the time, they didn't need to. At first, the criteria in the U.S. was, does a patient have symptoms? It had to be both fever and respiratory symptoms, like cough, what have you. And had an individual with symptoms either traveled from China within the last 14 days, or had they been exposed to somebody who had the virus, which meant that the residents of this nursing home apparently had not met that criteria. The CDC sets the criteria used to determine whether someone is at risk for a coronavirus infection. And originally, the CDC's criteria were very strict, like whether someone had been to China. But experts say that narrow criteria may have created holes for the virus to come through. When it comes to viruses, viruses are kind of sneaky. The virus started in China, but whoa, all of a sudden they're in, in northern Italy, and oh, by the way, they're in Iran. This is Tom Burton. He covers medicine and the Food and Drug Administration. And he says the reason the CDC criteria was so narrow was because U.S. officials thought that protecting the U.S. from one country would keep the virus at bay. By far, most of the cases were in China. We had essentially shut off aviation traffic between the U.S. and China. And President Trump seemed to have an idea that as a consequence of that, that the United States was sort of like an island. So there was a kind of belief that if we shut down travel to China, it would stop the coronavirus from arriving in the United States. Was that sort of a false hope to have? Uh, you know, I, yes, I think it was a false hope to have. The administration, as a general entity, was not yet convinced that the coronavirus had turned up in America in a big way. In the Washington state outbreak, even though the nursing home residents didn't meet the narrow criteria of having traveled to China, the firefighters, who were often the first to respond to 911 calls, started becoming suspicious. What they described was a couple of firefighters from a couple of fire stations started talking to each other and said, something's going on. What really concerned them was the number of calls they were getting from the same place in a 48-hour period. And so they flagged it to their battalion chief, who then flagged it to emergency responders. As the firefighters were figuring out that there was some kind of outbreak at this nursing home, health officials were identifying what it was. The local hospital tested the patients for coronavirus, and the results came back positive, which meant that the virus could have been spreading at the nursing home and that anyone who had been there had potentially been exposed to it, including those firefighters. The firefighters who had been in and out of that nursing home were contacted and told, you are now under quarantine. You're not going to work. You're going to keep a good distance from your family, your kids, your partners, and we're going to monitor your symptoms. That was about 25 firefighters going back at least to February 8th, who were placed under quarantine. And within days, 19 of those were placed under isolation, either because they had started to display symptoms or because they were in close contact with a confirmed case of coronavirus. Officials have said that over 50 nursing home staff and residents are displaying symptoms. 
The Life Care Center said those residents and staff are being monitored closely. Melanie talked to some of the firefighters who've been placed in quarantine, and they're worried that they could have spread the disease themselves. Jessica is the firefighter who did not put on a mask. She is frustrated. She left her shift and went to pick up her sister, who was going in for surgery. So she went with her sister and her father to the local hospital, and only after all of that did she get a call saying she was being placed under quarantine for possible exposure. And what she said was she did everything that she could, that she was trained to do, and that there are precautions she could have taken had she had more information, and that she found that very frustrating. One of the firefighters, Darren, his wife, is expecting any day. He has been in quarantine at home. He described actively wiping down surfaces in his house. He talked about trying to stay at the other end of the house from his family. He has to explain to his five-year-old and his three-year-old that he can't play with them. What he said is they sort of get it, but they also kind of don't. No, because they're five and they're three. They're five and three. And uh, they're roughhousing. And the next thing they know, they're sort of tumbling towards their dad. And he has to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Daddy worked with somebody who was sick, and we don't want you to get sick. Since Melanie last talked to him, Darren has been moved out of self-quarantine and into isolation. But the specifics of the situation in Washington state also point to a larger problem with the initial U.S. response. Public health officials, hospitals, first responders are all grappling with how do we know who has the virus if it's no longer tied to travel? That is the inflection point we're at in the spread of this virus in the United States. After the break, how that inflection point has prompted the government to ramp up its response to the virus. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Welcome back. One of the major reasons why the new coronavirus wasn't contained in Washington state was because of limited testing in the U.S. There's been problems with getting the tests from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention out to public health laboratories, and that has limited the testing capacity. Without widespread testing, it is hard to know where the reservoirs are of disease and there's a little pocket here of disease that is starting to spread, and it's 
working its way out from there. Unless you're doing widespread testing, you don't know where those reservoirs are. As we reported last week, some of the tests the CDC sent out were faulty. They weren't usable by state and local health departments. And for weeks, those health departments weren't able to test quickly for coronavirus. That problem was worsened by the narrow criteria for testing, which the CDC expanded just last week. And there are other areas where the federal government has been criticized, like last week, when the contents of a whistleblower complaint became public. Here's Tom. The whistleblower is Department of Health and Human Services employee. She says that when they went out to two air bases in California to greet and help and help settle in a bunch of American citizens who came back from China, some of whom were believed to have the coronavirus, this whistleblower contends that she and colleagues weren't given protective masks, protective gear, and didn't really have any special instructions about how to protect themselves against the virus. And furthermore, this person said that she and colleagues flew back to wherever their home sites were across the United States and flew without protection on regular commercial flights to get home. And Secretary Alex Azar of the Department of Health and Human Services was asked, you know, is this whistleblower account true? So first, we take the protection of our employees very seriously. Second, we want to make sure isolation and quarantine procedures are followed as appropriate. Third, we appreciate the whistleblower bringing forward any concerns. We are aggressively looking into any, if to see whether there's validity to the concerns, but what the American... But it's important because however many people could have had a chance on several commercial flights to expose several other hundreds of people and then to expose other people in their home communities. And all of the time being oblivious to whether they were carrying the disease or not. As of yet, there's no evidence the HHS employees have contracted or spread the virus. But since that whistleblower report and the creation of a White House coronavirus task force, more cases of coronavirus have spread around the country. More than a dozen states are reporting cases. And over the weekend, the FDA announced they would allow more laboratories to create their own tests to help ramp up screening. Washington State is one of the places where hospital systems are developing those tests. And in Kirkland, officials are starting to prepare for more cases to be identified. Seattle and King County, where this nursing home is located, announced that they would be buying a motel that they are going to convert into a facility to isolate sick individuals where they can be sort of treated and they can recover. They're also acquiring modular housing units. Schools are closing to deep clean. Hospitals are trying to figure out how to keep their intensive care units available for patients who will need it most. What did they tell you they are thinking will happen? One of the executives I spoke to had national estimates, not local estimates, but she had some national estimates about what would happen if anywhere from 1% to 5% of those infected needed hospitalization. And there are not enough ICU beds in the nation to meet that demand. She is genuinely concerned about ensuring that the hospital itself has the capacity it needs 
One hospital system with, you know, locations around Seattle is developing a chatbot they hope will help triage some of these people before they even leave their homes. They're also talking with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention about using their tele-ICU. This is a way that they use kind of like video monitors and telephones to kind of keep tabs on critically ill patients remotely. So you'd send them home with a pulse oximeter to check their oxygen levels. They'd have a thermometer they could use to keep tabs on their temperature. If someone starts to deteriorate, someone starts to get worse, they could send a nurse or bring that person into the hospital. I spoke with another hospital system, which said that part of the readiness plan is thinking about whether to set up tents outside of hospitals where they can triage people coming in. This way, they can assess whether someone has a coronavirus infection. To isolate it. Yes, yeah. So this way, those people aren't kind of wandering into the waiting room or sitting in the emergency room, waiting room, just breathing on everybody else. This is all in development. It's all things they are working to create, to respond to what they expect to be a pretty intense demand for hospital care. There is a real concern that there will not be enough hospital capacity in the event of a widespread outbreak. Within the last five days, things have really shifted. And there's going to be more screening happening. Hospitals are trying to prepare in so many different ways. What do public health officials say about how people should feel about this moment of the outbreak? Well, I I think they're all saying that the risk to an average person still is very small. If you happen to have been recently at this particular nursing home in Kirkland, Washington, then you need to get monitored way more closely than the average citizen would. But generally speaking, you know, for the 330 million people around the nation, the thing to do is be prudent. Basic, careful hygiene, hand washing, using hand sanitizers, not touching railings, being careful not to touch doorknobs without holding a paper towel on them. All of those things that sounded a little silly maybe a few months ago don't sound so silly anymore. That's all for today, Tuesday, March 3rd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.